comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 12, through chapter 7, verse 5. 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 12, through chapter 7, verse 5. Please listen carefully, for this is the word of God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is the word of God. I like it. We're, we're, I get to start the sermon a little bit earlier today. <laughs> there's actually a lot that needs to be said, and I'm going to tr- uh, There's no way we could say it all, and maybe one of these days, not maybe, sometime in the near future, we should have a, a whole s- series on the subject of sex, but that's what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> we're going to talk about this uh, um, difficult, but also, um, I hope, of interest to you subject. Um, I want to preface before we get into this message today uh, that this is a PG-13 sermon. (laughs) All right, so this isn't material that's really um, appropriate for for young children. Um, This is a really adult matter. Now, I'm obviously not going to say anything prurient or dirty, uh, but um, I'm not afraid to say things straight (laughs) and even blunt because some things need to be heard. And I know that there are people, even in the church, that they just think that they're, there's, they're, the only place this should ever be talked of is, is well, never. <laughs> okay? Um, and that's wrong. 
Um, that's not biblical. The Bible is not a squeamish book. I'm not a squeamish person. I'm not afraid to say things that need to be said. And as you can see, if, if you were paying attention to the scripture reading today, it's not squeamish. All right, so um, let's get into it. We're talking about this very important subject matter, part nine of, the, of our series. And um, my message today is on the glory of sex and covenant renewal. Part one of my message is sex is covenantal renewal. Did you know that? <laughs> Did you know that's what it is? Part one, sex is covenantal renewal. Part two, do not deprive one another. Hmm. Do not deprive one another. That's part two. And part three is naked and unashamed. Naked yet unashamed. That's where we're trying to go in a marriage with your sex life. That's the, that's, that's the prize. That's the beautiful prize. And um, we'll talk about how we get there. Naked and yet unashamed. Um, part one, sex is covenantal renewal. If you look at our passage today, um, it says, so I mean, there's a lot that's said in there, but uh, l let, me just, let me just highlight certain things. Uh, do, you, um, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Therefore, you should flee from sexual immorality. That's what it says. Flee from sexual immorality. Um, there is a very profound understanding of sex in this chapter 6 passage. Paul doesn't just say, God says, don't do it, so don't do it. He says, outside of marriage, so, I mean, so let me just be very clear about this. Uh, some, in our society, it's a highly offensive understanding, and people think that Christians are extremely uptight about this. You guys have this really uptight, uptight ethic, that outside of marriage, you're not supposed to have uh, sex, and some people actually think that there is something really deeply neurotic or even sick and wrong that Christians have this view. Um, by the way, Christians are not the only person that have this ethic. Uh, lots of other religions of the world have this ethic. And in fact, the people who think you can just have sex with whoever else, you're in the, you're in the moral minority. <laughs> and most of the world and people throughout of history would have thought there's something deeply wrong with you. So I just want to just make that point. So... It's, it's strange just because the majority culture in our culture thinks that we are uptight. Now they think that there's something sick and wrong with us. But actually, if you span it out through all these other different religions, um, um, hey, if you want to do it by votes, <laughs> if you want to do it by votes, I would say the, the secular immorality of our culture, they're the ones, there's something really sick and wrong with them. Okay, And that's not even... I w I'm not saying that even from the Bible perspective. I would say that if you put all the vote of all the religions of the world, okay? So let's just put that out there. But the Bible doesn't simply say God had a rule, follow the rule, and that's it. Never, okay? There's a reason. There's an underlying like vision and underst uh, understanding of what is sex is about, what sex is for, what is it actually accomplishing? And so... The way Paul puts it here is if you have sex with a prostitute, and so if you think that today is the only time when you know, sex is a, a, a really kind of free-for-all, loose thing, um, if anything, we might be relatively tame compared to this first century time. This is a time, I, I, okay, like I said, I, I don't want to be overly gross, but let, let me just be, this is, like I said, I was going to be straight about this, okay? Uh, when Paul is talking about prostitutes here, um, people... Their sex is, uh, sex was actually considered a kind of religious act. And so you'd have temples, 
and then within temples, you'd have sex with a temple prostitute. And that's what he's kind of talking about. That's the references to a temple prostitute. And so um, they, you'd have, you know, you've, you've probably heard this temple of Diana or temple <laughs> of, of all these Greek goddesses. And what do you think that they are celebrating? They're celebrating beauty and sex. How do you celebrate beauty and sex? By having sex. So you go to the temple and have sex, and that's one of the things that they do. Well, you might have heard other things about in Greco-Roman culture. Um, today, in our society, sex, well, it, this is even being lost, and I'll say a little bit more about this later in the message, but um, at least it used to be that sex was about love. It was about romance. I think increasingly that's not even what it's about in our culture. Now, sex isn't even about love and romance. But back then, they didn't see it as, sex, uh, as about love and romance either. And so um, a man would marry a woman. Because if you're going to be a real man, you've got to have kids. And that's how they looked at it in, in, in Greco-Roman culture. You can't, uh, you can't give a contribution to a society unless you produce more kids for society, because we can't be a powerful people without more people. It's hard to be a powerful people without people, right? And so um, a man would marry a woman, have kids, but he didn't actually love his wife for sexual excitement and for romance, he would go look for a teenage boy. <laughs> that wasn't uncommon in Greco-Roman times. And so, um, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, there are these statues of, 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 uh, of, of naked physical feature, um, figures, and because in Greco-Roman times, they celebrated the human body, <laughs> at least not all of them, but certainly in Athens they did, they celebrate the human body, and which kind of the, what was the perfection of the human body? Today, we see it as the female form. That's the, that's the perfection of the human body that everybody likes to celebrate in our culture, which is why we have something called supermodels. I mean, um, when was the last time you have a, we have, I know you, we have like, um, like Hollywood star male figures, but we generally don't want them to be naked. <laughs> um, but we like to celebrate today the, the supermodel, and they're always women. Right? But that's the way it is today. But back then, it was the man. And it wasn't just any man. It was a teenage boy. <laughs> and so back then, it was not uncommon that men, today we lust after women. And then we like to put them on our most famous magazines and on our, and, and our websites and to sell everything. Um, the, the Greeks would look at what we do today and go, oh, I completely get what you're going. But you, you know, you, hey, we, we got a boys up there. That's what they would say. I'm not trying to be gross about this, but that's, to us, we go, oh, that's so gross. And today we would call this molestation or pedophilia or something like this. But back then, they just considered it normal. What do you mean? You, you'd have a, a sexy 14-year-old boy, and you would want to have your relationship with a boy. So a guy would have a wife, but he'd have sex with a boy. Okay, so sorry for all that, but that's... So if you think, oh, everybody knows what sex is about, really. <laughs> if you uncork God's wisdom from sex, human beings just come up with all kinds of strange things. And so this is happening in our society, too. Our society is deeply chaotic when it comes to sex and the understanding of sex. And so now, now let me just continue on. So what is Paul saying here? If you have sex with a prostitute, you become one body with her. And then he cites the verse from Genesis 2, 24, 25, 
that a man shall leave his father and mother and become one flesh. Becoming one flesh, that is a short term for the act of sex, which has a deeper spiritual meaning. What is the proper spiritual meaning? That before there was even a union between a man and a woman, that there is a covenant between God and his bride. And all those who become saved in Jesus, you become, as he puts it, you become one spirit with God. One spirit with God. That's what the covenant is for. There is, there is a, to become deeply united. You are, there are two people, and we are two persons, and we're separated, but to become deeply united in every way. So in our society today, we think sex is primarily about your body, but not so, according to the Bible. Sex is about all of you. It is not just your body. What you do with your body teaches you something about who you are in the depths of your soul, in your spirit. And this is why in the Christian understanding, in the Bible's understanding, which we'd like to say is the right understanding, not just our opinion, but this is the way we were made by God. The body was not made just, you know, just to eat. The body, as this, as this passage says, was made for the Lord. Why? Because your body is a temple. Is a temple, as he says. And what was your body most intended to be? That we in our body, when we gather together as the church, the Lord wants to enter into our body as in the form of the Holy Spirit and dwell there, and then our spirit becomes one spirit with him. That's what it's for. That's what the body's for. And then when we get married, now when we get married, there is, there is something like this structure of salvation. So salvation is really a glorious union. It's actually the most profound relationship there is. So some people think salvation is, I don't end up going to hell, I get to go to heaven. Well, that's part of it, but that's, you're not even getting into the core of salvation now. The core of salvation is that you would become one spirit with God, and God would dwell in you. You'd be so one with him, he'd dwell in you. That's salvation. And so the structure of salvation is that God covenants himself. He'd say, I promise... <laughs> It's, it's strange because I, I, as I, in a previous message, I said there's always three, three, three figures in a covenant. There is two that unite themselves under God. So God, since he has to do this under God, so God became one of the partners under the covenant under himself. I know that sounds a little strange. God would become the husband, the bridegroom, as the scriptures call it, to his people who have bodies. And he would enter into them through the Holy Spirit. That's the covenantal union. Who's the third figure? God as judge. So God sent Christ to be the bridegroom who would be under his father as judge. And if the bridegroom fails his covenant, then he would undergo covenantal curse. Just a quick word, the wife the church failed covenantal, covenantal, um, covenantal, covenantal uh, vows. And then you know what happened? According to salvation, the husband, who is Christ, underwent covenantal curse. That's the cross. To win her, to redeem her. And then he conquered the curse 
that's the resurrection. Okay, so that's the theology. That's what's undergoing on. Now, that's a mouthful. This is why what we do with our bodies isn't just, I just, I just, there's obviously great realms in the Bible about, you know, if you want to eat potato chips, you can have potato chips, okay? But it says, it's not all these, it's lawful for you to eat potato chips, but it's not helpful <laughs> necessarily, right? You can play video games with your body, but it's lawful, but it may not be helpful. But then he goes on to talk about other things, deeper things, and understand that if you sin with your body in sex, it's not just something that's happening outside of you. In you you're actually sinning in your body. You're sinning against your body. So some people think that sex is just, well, it's just an uptight rule. It doesn't hurt anybody. We would say not only are you abusing and hurting the other person, you're sinning against their body, but let me say it to you this way. You're sinning against your own body. You're harming yourself. And... Um, and later on, when you get married, and when you do what, what you're trying to do, what marriage is really supposed to, what the sex is really supposed to be for, well, I'm going to say exactly in a moment what that's for, you're going to find out, indeed, you were really harmed. Because you did things with your body, and now inside your mind and your spirit, it's broken. And the blessing of marriage that you're supposed to have in your sexual union, in your marriage, within the covenant itself, you're, you're, it's harder to get to, and there's a lot of hurt and pain. And so that's, there is harm. Now, what's marriage for? The, you're enacting what covenant does. I'm not just by myself. I'm with you. I'm not alone. I'm deeply with you. And if I'm not just with you. You're sitting in the same room with me. We're entering into each other. God is not just over there, far away. He has come into me, and we've become one spirit, as the Bible puts it. That's what the covenant is saying. And then God allows human beings to have something of this most beautiful, the deepest, closest way you can be to another human being. And he put it in this act called sex, which ultimately is what? It's, it's the enactment of covenantal union. It's a celebration of I'm not apart from you, I'm one with you. And then every time a husband and a wife has sex, you know what you're doing? You're renewing covenant. You're celebrating covenant, you're renewing covenant. You're saying, this is who we, I'm not just me, I'm with you. You're me, <laughs> I'm you. And we, the way we entangle our bodies together in this thing that makes us super duper happy. <laughs> And it's supposed to create unbelievable pleasure. Pleasures and life-giving. And, of course, it's about love. Covenantal reunion, that's what sex is for. Okay? Let's go to part two. If this is what it's for, let's go to chapter seven. So notice what Paul, he has a message about, please don't have sex with the temple prostitutes. <laughs> You're sinning against your own body. And he goes, but now let's talk about sex in marriage. That's what he says in and then he says this remarkable thing. All right, now concerning the matters of which you wrote. In other words, they must have asked him questions about sex. So now he's teaching them. He says, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's pretty interesting. But because of the temptation of sexual immorality, it's good if you can not do it. Not because it's bad to do it. It's good if you're able to control your body. That's what I think they're trying to say. But God gave us Marriage. So he goes on to say, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Here we go. 
one man, one woman, one man, one woman, this is why Christianity can never accept this idea of same-sex marriage, no way, right? One man, one woman, and here we go, we're supposed to have this deep union with the one who is different than us, who is different than us. Ultimately, it was God who is different than us. And he goes on to say this, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. Ladies, you have rights. <laughs> you have a right to have sex from your husband. And then, but then, wait a second. Wait a second. So it's, I think it's really interesting. He, he mentions her rights first. But then he goes on and says, but likewise the wife to her husband. So this is not one of those things where a man has, a, you know, the husband has authority over his wife. This is equal. <laughs> In the realm of sex, it's equal. Do you notice it's very symmetrical here? He has rights. Your body is not your own. So men, your, wife, your body is not your own. Your wife has rights to your body. So let's put it in other ways. If, um, if your wife thinks you ought to lose weight, guess what? She, you, you should lose weight, <laughs> okay? <laughs> it's time for some exercise and, uh, you, know, you know, drop some things out of your diet here, okay? If, if ladies, if, you're, if your husband wants you to wear this dress and he likes your hair a certain way, you should listen. Now, of course, you should have a little discussion about this, okay? But, I mean, he, doesn't, he has a right to say these things. <laughs> That's how deeply one we are. That's incredible, isn't it? And then this plays out in the marriage bed, in sexual union itself. And um, he goes on to say this. So do not deprive one another except by agreement. By agreement. For a limited time. <laughs> so let me like, break that down. If you're not having sex with each other, guess what? It's called deprivation. That's a serious word. <laughs> If you do not have sex regularly, often enough, in your marriage, that's the Bible calls it, God calls it, depriving. If you, with, 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 uh, with, with um, uh, if you decide to stop having sex for a, short, uh, for a period of time, it should be because you agreed to do so. <laughs> not because I just don't feel like it. I'm glad he's not coming around and stops bothering me. Right? Or, no. Like, you can just unilaterally say, you, don't touch me, don't touch me, don't touch me. That's bad. <laughs> That's a very profound rejection of your spouse. You're hurting your marriage. Right? And if you do so, you should only do so for a limited period of time. And, and it's pretty interesting um, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. What's the reason why you should do, why you should, um, because there's something even higher than sex that you should, uh, you know, w withdraw from sex for a period for something even more important, such as prayer. That's how important sex is in marriage. So outside of marriage, no. But inside of marriage, big fat, yes, boom, with an exclamation point. Uh, years ago, I sat in, in, at, at my old church, I gave a message, and, you know, I, I gave this point. I said, outside of marriage, no, no, no. In marriage, yes, yes, yes. The following week, the 12-year-old who was in church <laughs> quoted this right back to me. I remember what you said. <laughs> outside of marriage, no, no, no. Inside of marriage, yes, yes, yes. Outside, I went, oh, wow, people actually listen to these things. Okay, but that, that's a, so help, to help you out here. Now, um, 
Do not deprive one another. Um, I want to say a few things about this. In this, in this portion, I want to I say a series of wisdom points, because this isn't easy. There's a lot of things that need to be said about sex, and I can't, like I said, I can't say all of them, but I want to say certain things, because for those of you who are married, for those of you who are single, you should just need to remember these things for what, maybe one day when you're, when you're um, married yourself. Or for those of you who are single, you're hanging out with um, your, your married friends, and you can get a feel that, they're, that there's a, that energy in their marriage is low. Or maybe the energy in their marriage is just plain bad. Now, obviously, you have to be very sensitive about this, but you might want to ask them, you know, you got a friend. Hey, how's your sex life? You're single. If you're, if you have a, if you're a really good friend, you might want to ask a married friend, how's your sex life? Um, I've noticed, but let me say this, you're like, I'm not going to ask that question. Okay, let, let me just... Uh, encourage you. When married couples get together, <laughs> they're not squeamish. All right? This is a normal thing in their life. They're not squeamish. Married couples will talk about poo when they're talking about, you know, what their kids. They'll talk about, like, how it's so annoying that the kid threw stuff around. They, this is just life. It's life. So don't be afraid to, to be a blessing. So you can remember these types of wisdom points, too. But obviously, for those of you who are married, this is, uh, this is very directly relevant to you. I want to say a few things which I hope will be very helpful so that you cannot deprive one another. Okay? You cannot deprive one another. And this most wonderful, glorious gift. And by the way, so there's a lot of different gifts in marriage. <laughs> this may be right up there at the top. And this is a gift from God. And this is a gift you give to your husband or to your wife. And, um, and I hope you give it often. So uh, th let me say the first one. I'm, I'm making this point. You should have sex, and you should have sex often and regularly because that's not my view. That's God's, okay, right there from the Bible. Do not deprive one another. Um, there's going to be a question. What is, okay, how often is often enough? <laughs> okay, that's going to be the question. I just know that's the question. You're sitting there asking this question. So, you know, like, my husband wants it every day. Come on, pastor. All right, or... Or it's like this question. Um, by the way, there are marriages where the wife wants it more. I mean, probably in the majority of marriages, the husband wants it more frequently than the wife. Um, but there are marriages where the wife wants sex more frequently than the husband. And I will venture to say this. When a husband doesn't, hey, it's, it's, she has rights to your body. If you reject your wife on sex, that's even more painful to a wife than when a wife does it to her husband. It's painful either way, right? But it's even more so, I think, when a wife wants it more often because she feels like, what do you mean, I'm just not beautiful enough for you? It's hugely painful, so please. So, um, I have, I, okay, look, this is my, this is not in scripture, obviously, okay? Um, this is my opinion, but I believe it to be a wise opinion. I have uh, read a lot of different about this. I've talked to a lot of different people. I've actually, you know, read different psychologists on this. And I think, what do I, I think I have a number for you. What is the number? <laughs> a frequency, okay? What is this number? All right. The number, I think, as a rule of thumb, is not less than once a week. I think if you want to go more than once a week, do it. If you want to go three times a day, 
you, you probably won't you'll probably won't get much work done but okay great okay <laughs> okay great okay you you want to have a, a you know a month of your life where you're going three times a day I mean that's like 90 times in one one month great God is pleased so I want to say this to you all right so so you go like are you crazy pastor like sex is a dirty thing it is not a dirty thing if in a marriage, it's within, it's the one place where sex is safe. And in fact, it's beautiful because it actually enacts the most beautiful thing there is that God will come to dwell with us in you. Every time you're doing this, you're dwelling into each other. It's as holy as can be. <laughs> so do it. Do it a lot. Okay? So not less than once a week. You're depriving one another of something holy and beautiful. And I just say once a week because all the most important things in life we do probably once a week, at least once a week, right? We worship once a week. And so I tend to think less than once a week, you're, 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 getting, you're, you're not going to die, obviously, if you don't do it once a week, okay? Um, but yes, your marriage will start to grind down. There, there are some couples who are probably are once a month or three times a year. Oh, my gosh. Right? I, um, I, I think your marriage is in trouble. You're, dry, you're getting down toward once a month, your marriage is in trouble. If you're three or four times a, a year, I mean, obviously, we're not talking about if you have some kind of physiological issue, please don't, don't, make, the, don't make the message, you know, like ridiculous like that. You know, people have cancer, and then after the cancer, they have to go through chemo. That, that impedes sex. It really does, right? So I'm not talking about that. That's, 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 I'm there. I have a lot of compassion about that. But um, you're, if you're normal, physically normal, please, huh, you know, you get down toward once a month or less, I think your marriage is in trouble. Huh. And not in a little trouble. It could be in a lot of, you're in a bad place. All right. Um, let me give this next piece of wisdom toward the men, all right? A lot of men go, okay, great, I love that, love that point, Pastor. Just thank you for saying that. And now I'm going to use that as a weapon on my wife. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Sex is not some piece of legalism. You owe this to me now, woman. <laughs> Don't say that. Don't even think it. In one sense, it does. But you know where sex begins? Sex is deeply about relationship. And so um, I'm going to quote to you a, a little passage from this great book. But um, this, uh, the author of this book is Kevin Lehman, Christian psychologist. And he says sex begins in the kitchen or the backyard. Sex begins by driving your children to school. In other words, sex begins by saying, first, I love you and cherish you. How does your wife need that to be said? How does your wife need that to be said? If you want a better sex life from your wife, don't just ignore her and then just say, hey, 10 o'clock, it's time, honey. <laughs> All right, come on, right? And um, by the way, I mean, like I said, like, I'm not trying to be, but thanks to men, you get turned on a lot faster and you climax a lot easier. And so if that's all it takes for you, I'm turned on, dear. You start taking your clothes off. I'm ready. <laughs> and... Um, and then you climax, you know, three minutes later, and now you're good. And if that's the only way you have sex, how is this good for her? How is it good for her? You have to pay attention what turns her on. 
maybe she'll get turned on because you did the dishes. <laughs> That's where it's starting. For wives, it's a slower turn on. The, the man is like a microwave oven. <laughs> but a woman is more like a crock pot. It, like, it percolates. So, so slower, slower, slower. So like, understand this delicate, wonderful, beautiful body that is called the woman's body. And it's called the woman's mind and heart. You're not just trying to use her body. Understand her heart. So work at this. Men, you have to work at this. Pay attention. Right? Pay attention. Um, in, in this book, he tells this funny story. Kevin Lehman tells this story. Like he's in this counseling situation with this, uh, with a husband, and he and he says, "How many clothes pieces of clothes do you uh, does your wife have?" He goes, "I don't know. There's so many I can't even count. How many do you? How many shoes do you have?" He goes, three. <laughs> and he says, "What does that say to you about your wife?" And, and the guy couldn't get it. He goes, "Like she likes variety, man. <laughs> so do you only have one pathway to the big O? What do you, you know, orgasm?" He's like, then, then that's bad. <laughs> How about a variety? Your wife likes variety. Maybe different pathways, surprise, mystery. And maybe the beginning of the pathway starts when you take out the trash. Okay? So that's second piece of advice, especially for the men. Ladies, all right. So you know this has got to be fair here. Um, my third piece of, of wisdom I want to give to the ladies. Um, there are a lot of women who think he is just a horn dog. He just wants to just have sex. It's just sex. It's just sex, right? Um, there's no such thing as just sex. If your husband wants to have sex with you frequently, that's good. <laughs> um, and it's not just sex. Actually, any man who, who, there are people, as a Christian, you're not supposed to do this, but I've, re I've even listened to non-Christians say this. They say, I know the difference between having sex versus making love. The man wants to love you. Your husband wants to deeply be with you. And he doesn't know how to do it. Most men aren't like, they don't write like deep love poetry. Most men are like, you know, romantic clods. I mean, I know that, you know, you're like all these, you want him to say these sweet things to you. But the average man, 60, 70, 90% of the men are romantic clods. And they, they, they may fumble with their hands and all this other kind of stuff. But this is the place where they want to give themselves to you. And they don't just want to use you. This is also the place where they often feel the most closest to you. And so when they want to have sex, they don't know how to say it better than this. But they really want to say is, honey, will you love me? That's really what they're asking for. Dear, will you love me? Will you deeply Love me. I need, I feel deeply lonely. And you're the person I want you to know and meet me in this deepest place. So you love me. That's really what they're saying. Next point. Um, let me say this. So a lot of people think it's natural. Our society thinks sex is just natural. <laughs> no, lust is natural. <laughs> okay? Loneliness, which we use to quench loneliness, sex as like a really lazy way of quenching loneliness is natural. But really glorious sex takes work. So that's the next point I want to say is you're not going to be good at this at first. Some people go, so some people, oh, I'm just going to, you know, like, oh, you just, I'm just, it's natural. So it's just all going to be all turned on. And there are many couples, many, maybe the majority of couples, 
Many couples, some people were, they were sexually active before they were married, and then they got married, and it was really exciting before they got married. And then after the 20th time or the 50th time or the 100th time in their marriage, they start thinking, it's getting kind of boring now. But maybe it's because you just never got any good at it. I think that's the case in a lot of people. Because getting good at it is not just about the physical technique. <laughs> if sex is at its deepest place, covenantal renewal, it's deeply personal. It's of the soul. It's of the heart. Then getting good at it is the mystery of unlayers and layers of the heart. And of course, we're also just not good at it, the physical techniques of it, because most men don't know you know, hey, there, there are little ways that you can kiss your wife on her back, and you haven't discovered that yet. <laughs> now, you haven't figured that out yet. Then maybe sex starts with a hand on the knee while you're just sitting watching TV. And so all those things must be discovered. All those things must be given with the deepest gentleness and love that takes time. There are many couples that said, I don't even know if it really got really, really good until five years in or ten years in. Five years in. Ten years in. There are many couples five years in, all they do is they fight, they grind on each other, they have kids now. A lot of people, do you notice kids is not a reason not to have sex according to the Bible. That's not one of the reasons. <laughs> it's prayer is a reason, but not kids. But a lot of people think, we had kids and now we're just tired. And of course you're tired. <laughs> of course you're tired. I I've been there. And so then, you know, the sex life just starts to peter out, die out. You, you, you're just so lazy. You have, like, no creativity anymore. Um, just, man, how about just cleaning up? <laughs> Take a shower before you come to bed. When most women like you to smell nice. <laughs> they don't want to smell your sweatiness throughout the day. They want you to smell really nice. How about putting on cologne before bed? That's interesting. <laughs> before bed. Or after, at the very least, aftershave. My wife likes me to be... You know, nicely clean. Sometimes she likes it a little bristly, but mostly she likes it clean shaven, okay? <laughs> All right? And so, um, so that's interesting. My mom once said to me that a man should shave twice a day. The first time in the morning to go out into the world to present himself to the world. And then when he comes home, to present himself to his wife. She sh my mom said that to me. I, I don't often obey that. I'm, not, I'm, I'm bad. Sorry, Grace. <laughs> um, but... Um, these are things, and as you go, and uh, you just, oh, this will probably embarrass her. I would, I would venture to say, our sex life didn't get really good until about maybe five or six years in. So obviously, we were having sex in the first five years, but I, I would say it started getting good five years in, and then a couple years after that, it started getting into like not good. It started getting into like whoa, okay, like crazy amazing, okay. So. And I have found, now, I'm, all, I'm also married 19 years, so I'm, like, I'm trying, I know my wife doesn't want me to say these things, but 19 years in, I, I keep expecting that we're going to hit a top, a top note. Like, this is as good as it gets. This is, it, it, like, we were 32, and, like, it was all downhill from there. No. <laughs> okay, I, this, I, 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 I'm not lying to you. I swear before God Almighty on this. Okay, 19 years in, we have not hit our top note. I keep expecting us to hit the top as great as it gets. It has not happened. So I'm just telling you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, 
you have a lot of growing to do. You have a lot of growing to do, right? And, and for those of you who are young married folks, and if you are single, isn't that great? Isn't that great? Your pastor just told you 19 years in, we haven't hit the top. No. Wow. You're like, wow, this is super different, exciting. You're gonna, that's, what, a, what a great journey to start on when you get married, isn't it? And so um, that's the beauty of covenantal renewal. Now, let me say a few points about common problems, all right? Um, if you had sex before you were married, you know that was, that's sin. And I said to you that, that you're going to incur some cost for that. One piece of cost that you may get is you might have other people in that bed. You're in the middle of intimacy with your husband or your wife, and then all of a sudden, someone else comes into your mind. And that's not what you want happening. You don't want it happening. You're like, I don't want this to happen. <laughs> if you say her name or his name, you will deeply hurt your husband or your wife. And so here you go. You've sinned against your body, and now you're paying for it. But it can still be renewed. So please, you have to just take more attention. Don't beat yourself up. There are some of you who are going to say this thing. Pastors, I, I became so broken. I was so hedonistic. I slept with so many people before I got married. I don't know if I'll ever be able to have what you have, what you just said you have. Right? I've looked at porn in my life. That was the way I've sinned against my body, my mind, against my wife. And it's something I wish I could take back. I can't. But I have to, so I fight the consequences of it. But here's the beautiful thing. You are washed. You are forgiven. God makes things new. Please believe that. Go at it. Focus on her. Focus on him. Continuously put your past out of your mind and say, that is gone, that's crucified on the cross with Jesus, washed away by the blood of Jesus. Today, now I want to go be with you. God gave me you. God gave us this incredible gift. What if you were abused? What if you're abused? There are increasingly in our society, as our society is just so sexually chaotic, we just let this sexual temptation out every place. People have been abused. And especially women, they're going to be really afraid. And this is going to be a very deep problem. I mean, uh, there are, according to Kevin Lehman in his book, Sheep Music, there are husbands... It takes some years. They didn't know their wife was sexually abused. Because <laughs> she just never talks about it because it's so painful. <laughs> years into their marriage, and he's wondering why, why don't we have a good sex life? And so I want to say this. If you have been sexually abused, if, whether you're the man or your husband or a woman, please tell your spouse. Please tell your spouse. So they can understand. If you're afraid of sex, because you've been abused, it's really understandable. <laughs> and so, but then the next thing I would say to you is, please then go to, um, please then go to Christian counseling and therapy. There are people who can help you and then get you toward this place where then you will not be deprived, your, your husband or your wife will not be deprived, and you can go to this unbelievable gift and this beauty. That's the next thing I want to say. Um, one more thing, and then let's go to the final portion of my message. Um, uh, every 
everybody has an unspoken rule book. <laughs> so some of the stuff I got from Lehman, some of the stuff I got from other places. Kevin Lehman in his book, uh, he says, everybody has this unspoken rule book. You have rules about how we can do it or can't do it. And they're not from the Bible. <laughs> they're your rules. They're weird rules. And, and, um, and then you're, all of a sudden your husband wants to do something else. You're like, no. Your wife wants to say, no, we can't do that. No, you're bad for wanting to do that. And so, um, and the rules are probably come from the way you were raised, according to psychologist Kevin Lehman. He says, you may very well be conditioned by your opposite sex parent. So like, you know, men, that means your mom. So for example, if your mom was very overbearing, he'll give you an example, if your mom was very domineering and overbearing. So then if your wife wants to kind of try to take control in bed, it might make you very angry. You can't do that. because you had a lot of pent-up anger. Actually, you're not angry at your wife. You're angry at your mom. Isn't that bad? <laughs> There's too many people in that bed, right? And so this is an example. So, and then, or if, uh, if ladies, if you, you had a very exacting father and you were very distant from your father, and then everything had to be controlled, and so then if the man wants to get a little, your husband wants to get a little too excitable in bed and, that might be very threatening to you. That might be a rule. No, no. Every, there, there has to be a towel on our sheet because you know, everything has to be clean and neat because every time I spilled things, my dad yelled at me. He yelled at me and got really angry at me. But these things are things that must be left behind. And so if you have certain rules that seem to come up, please explore those rules. Don't, think, don't just think, talk about them. Don't just think, this is it. Consider them. Maybe... It's not just you, and obviously you don't want your mom or your dad in that bed, right? <laughs> so it needs to be thought out. And maybe these are things you need to work out, hash out in those first few years of marriage. So then we grow, grow, grow. Like I said, we're not good at this. Just even if because you think, I'm, I know what to do. I know what to do. Do you? <laughs> do you know all the mysteries inside, even in your own heart? Even the broken rules that are inside, even in your own heart, that don't need to be there. Um, I want to read this a passage to you, and then we'll, well, uh, well, let's just go to the close of my message. What should great sex, what a great marriage should be like? You're naked with each other, and you're deeply safe. There is no shame. There is no fear. Isn't that great? You could be known to the deepest bottom place in your heart, including your fears, your shames, your brokenness, and yet no more shame. That's what sex is for. Sex is to allow you to have an intimacy so profoundly deep. Finally, before somebody else, you are most completely known and accepted and loved. Um, this is why sex is that important. So he, he, according to Kevin Lehman, this is his book, Sheet Music. This is the best book on marital sex that I know. I give this book as a gift to different couples. Some, one couple I gave, I won't say their name, I gave this book, and they said, oh, the wife said, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you gave this to me. Right? And I just went, you're welcome. <laughs> right? So here's what he says. He says, like, Having a marriage without sex is like watching a m- movie without any music. You can have 
the movie without music, but there's something deeply missing. A good sex life colors the marriage from top to bottom. Life requires us to do a lot of humdrum things. Sometimes my wife needs me to go to the store and pick up a bunch of boring stuff, lettuce, celery, light bulbs, <laughs> milk. <laughs> Other times I get to go to a lingerie store and buy something that's anything but boring. My wife once made me do that. And it, was, it, was, it was an odd experience. I'm in Victoria's Secret. I don't even know what I'm looking for, but it was fun. <laughs> um, Another time, Sandy, that's his list, needs me to find out why brakes squeak and squawk and make all kinds of nasty noises, but other times I get to get noises out of her <laughs> that are a lot more fun. Think about it. 90% of life is filled with mostly boring stuff, changing diapers, cleaning up countless spills, paying the bills, filling up the gas tank. And many men and women often have to work in deadly dull jobs, checking the food at the grocery store, pounding nails into the roof, adding up the same batch of figures. Oh, I, I, I work in the finance department. It's such a sexy job. No, it's not. It's totally boring. <laughs> I work in the marketing department. Oh, yeah, yeah, I put together PowerPoint things, blah, blah. It's so boring. Just eight hours a day, <laughs> right? I've even met accomplished lawyers and dentists who were bored out of their minds with their professions, but financial obligations insisted that they keep doing them. Into this world of obligation and responsibility, God has dropped something absolutely fabulous into our lives. At the end of the day, and sometimes maybe even at the beginning, when our work is done and the kids are in bed and we're home from work, we can touch each other and kiss each other and pleasure, pleasure each other in such a way that the world feels like it's light years away. We're transported to another place and removed to another time, and it is a glorious feeling indeed. A fulfilling sex life is one of the most powerful marital glues a couple, a couple can have. Children are a good glue, common values, a common faith, and common dreams, but sex is definitely one of the strongest pieces of ways that you are glued to your spouse. The kind of sex I'm talking about takes a little work and a lot of forethought, but the dividends it pays are more than worth the effort. If your husband is sexually fulfilled, he will do anything for you. Ladies, let me say that. He'll take a bullet, he'll race a train, and he'll do whatever it takes to make sure you're okay. And men, if your wife knows that you view sex as a special gift to her, if you can make your wife feel things she's never felt before, and if you will learn to become a selfless, sensitive, and competent lover, she'll purr like a kilton and melt in your arms, and you will feel like the hero that you wish you could be for her. A sexually fulfilled man will normally be a better father, and a better employee, a sexually fulfilled woman, will have less stress and more joy in her life. Sex is vitally important to a healthy marriage. Kevin Lehman, sheet music, 1099. <laughs> OK. I don't know what it costs. Whatever it is, it's worth it, OK? Let me close the message this way. As you can hear, it's, very, it's not easy to get to this place. And why is it not easy to get to this place? Because in order to get to a really good sex life, you must become sanctified. You must become holier and more righteous. And your sins must be washed and repented of. And your hurts and wounds 
must be met. Your husband and wife can somewhat help heal you, but nobody can heal you like the ultimate bridegroom. His name is Jesus. Jesus came. Do you notice that he made himself naked on the cross? He made himself ultimately vulnerable. And he bled his life out so that he, within a covenant union, could say, I'll be there before me. No shame, no fear. Every piece of forgiveness is yours. You could be naked before me. First, we must go before him and understand every sin, everything shameful in the past done by us, done to us, Jesus can take away because he is the Lamb of God and the bridegroom. And then we can go into our marriage bed. And then we can receive because we have the courage to face our wife or husband because we know they're imperfect. You might not really be delicate with me in the most sensitive places, but I've let Jesus meet me, and so I have enough courage to be with you. And then, of course, since he has now washed me and renewed me, I can give this to you. Isn't that strange? You need the gospel to have a great sex life. I think it's true. I bet you the people who have the greatest sex in the world are Christians. (laughs) You probably don't have to be a Christian. I mean, if you're just one of those, you have a great marriage and you know how to give each other this kind of safety, you don't have to be a Christian to do this but probably the majority of people in the world who have the greatest sex are godly Christians. Isn't that weird? I just said that. So run to Christ and let him wash you and be safe and naked before him. And then chase each other naked around the, around the room, okay? When the kids are out, okay? <laughs> and go home and grow in your marriage. Let's pray. <laughs> Um, Father, there is so much woundedness here and so much guilt and a lot of fear. And I pray for single people who have already made a lot of mistakes, that they would know that today they could say, Jesus, will you please forgive me and wash me? For husbands and wives who especially their marriages are grinding down I pray they would begin to discover this beautiful thing where marriage can be life-giving yet again, where the covenant is life-giving yet again. And it's not life-giving because we just do this physical act because deeply this wonderful thing is most incredibly, it is emotional, it is spiritual. Come before us, Jesus, Lord. Help us to be fully unashamed before you. Let us come before you and be completely stripped bare so that finally we can go to my wife and my husband and we can begin a journey, this incredible journey towards something that is truly heavenly. It is heavenly. The marriage bed of covenantal union renewing our lives and inside something, it feels like we're taken to another place because it is a heavenly experience. So we thank you. The world is chasing after us, abusing it, and breaking themselves because they're using it apart from you. But when we now give it from you, 
take this blessing from your hand and would you renew every marriage in our church, Lord. Praise in Jesus' name.